You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Good morning, everybody. Again, it's great to have you with us. If you're watching online and just tuning in, uh, it's great to have you with us as well. And so we've been in this uh, incredible series on all four churches of the Zero Collective we've been working through called Make Space. And we've been looking at the story of the tabernacle and the way God's people were led by his presence uh, through the tabernacle and how he still wants to lead us by his presence, by his Holy Spirit today. And so I want to wrap this uh, series up uh, today. I'll, I'll start out this way. Um, when I, I have four boys, my wife and I, and they're all teenage, uh, you know, teenagers now. But when my boys were younger, if I really wanted to punish myself, I would try to take them all fishing by myself. And the reason I say that is because I actually really love to fish. I enjoy fishing. And you know, if you've ever tried to take little kids fishing, you know you don't get to fish at all when you do that. All you really do the whole entire time is you spend all your time untangling their lines while you try to help them catch a fish, right? That's the way that works. And so I have this memory, uh, my boys, I think they, my older three were eight, seven, and four, if I remember correctly. And so uh, I took them for a little while and I took them to a lake that's not very far from our house and I was going to take them bluegill fishing. There was this lake that was stocked with bluegill and bluegill are pretty easy fish to catch uh, when you're a little kid. And so I had three boys with me, but I only brought two fishing rods because I felt like that was all that I could handle was two at a time. And so the idea was one of them would kind of sit and wait on the bank while I was, you know, helping the other two untangle their lines and learn how to fish. And so I remember I'm standing there and my son, Andrew, our second son, he's about seven years old at the time, he's sitting on the bank waiting his turn uh, while I kind of help his other two brothers learn how to fish. And all of a sudden from behind me, I hear Andrew say, hey, dad, you know what? It's okay. Don't even worry about it. I'm just going to catch this fish with my bare hand. (laughs) And, And I look over at him and he is literally like hunched over the bank with his arm up like this. Like, don't worry about it. I'm just going to catch this fish. And I look, and there in the water is this uh, bluegill sitting right there. If you don't know, uh, bluegill make these kind of sandy, circular, shallow beds right by the bank. It looks kind of like this. And the, the female will oftentimes just sit right there on, on top of the nest like that. And, and so that's, what, that's what's happening. And so Andrew sees this fish. So I, you know, I roll my eyes, and I go back to helping my other two boys. I don't even say anything because I know that fishing is more complicated than that. It's more sophisticated right? There's equipment that you buy to go fishing. Uh, There are lures that you have to carefully select. And I've discovered some lures are made to catch fish. Some lures are made to catch fishermen. And I've bought both kinds. There's hours spent perfecting a cast, learning how to put your line in the water right where you want it to be. There's a way you do this. You don't just stick your hand in the water and grab a fish out. So I'm sitting there helping my boys. I hear a splash behind me. I turn around, and Andrew is standing there with the fish in his hand. He's like, look, Dad, I caught the fish. Literally, the fish is like wiggling. He's just holding it in his hand. Never before in my life before or since have I ever seen anyone just stick their hand in the water and pull a fish straight out of the water. I was shocked. The fish was shocked. (laughs) You know who was not shocked in that moment? Andrew. 
He wasn't shocked at all. He fully expected when he put his hand in that water, he was going to grab a fish. He didn't doubt it for a second. Now, why didn't I ever think to do that? The reason I've never, ever in my life tried to just grab a fish out of the water with my bare hand, go ahead, if you will, to that first slide. Go ahead, if you you guys will, to that first slide there. It's because of this phrase right here, because that's not how you fish, right? That's not how you do it. There's a way you do things, and that's not how you do it. You don't just grab a fish out of the water. I wonder, just leave that phrase up there for a second. I wonder how many things in our spiritual lives, in our walk with Christ, I wonder how many things we could say that line about. Why don't you pray and ask God to heal you where you're sick? Why don't you ask God to forgive you for that burden that you're carrying? Uh, why don't you ask him to provide for you supernaturally in, in this area that you, you need him to provide for? Why not? Because that's not how you pray, right? That's not how you do that. As, as we've gone through this series, uh, we've talked about how to be led more and more in our lives by the, by the Holy Spirit. Maybe the Holy Spirit's been prompting you, I don't know, maybe he's been prompting you to just give gener- radically and generously to meet the need of some other person. Maybe there's somebody you know who's just struggling and you just feel God just calling you to radically crazy, just give to help them out. Why haven't you done it? Because that's not how you manage your money, right? Maybe God's calling you as this series has progressed to to just radically forgive someone, someone who's hurt you, someone who's wounded you, and, and it just keeps coming up and coming up. Maybe God is just saying, you know, I'm calling you to just reach out to that person and just reconcile and forgive them. Even when they haven't done anything to deserve it, I'm just calling you to forgive them. Why haven't you done it yet? Because that's not how you right a wrong. That's not how you bring justice to a situation. Maybe God's inviting you to do something else. You know, maybe he's inviting you at the stage of life you're in to step in with Trish Mutchler, our children's director, who's just doing such a phenomenal job and serve the next generation in the church. Why haven't you done it? Because that's not what retired people do, Right? Are you like me? Do you have any because that's not how use in your life? Yeah. So, so all I want to do this morning as we look at this last message in this series about the tabernacle, last message talking about making space for the Holy Spirit, is I, I just simply want to raise and expand your expectations for what is possible when God's presence is leading you in your life. What, where is your level of expectation this morning? Just like my son, just sticking his hand in the water. He fully expected to grab that fish. Does God want you to raise your expectations of what he could do in your life? Brad and I were talking in our teaching team meeting this past week. He shared just about how powerfully last week, as he, he and Sam just felt led to just open this up. And so tons of you just came forward and just said, yes, I want more of the Holy Spirit in my life. Pray just to, to have uh, more of the Holy Spirit. That is incredible. God is moving in this church. Do you know that? He's pouring out his spirit. Incredible things are happening. And so this morning, I just simply want to explore where is your level of expectation? What are you allowing him to do? What are you open to him doing in your life? So we're going to look at this conversation that happens with Moses and God on Mount Sinai. It's part of the whole conversation. It's right after the golden calf, in fact. It's right in the conversation where God is saying, you know, go and build a tabernacle. And Moses is basically trying to apologize to God. And he's asking God just to forgive him because the people have once again fallen short. The people have once again disobeyed God. Listen to this conversation they're having. 
Exodus 34, verse 8, Moses bowed down to the ground and once and worshiped. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. So, so listen to what Moses is praying there. He's like, God, I know we've messed up. Will you just forgive us and will you just go with us? That's all I'm asking. My expectations aren't big, God. Will you just forgive us for where we've messed up and will you just go with us? That'd be great. Look at what God says. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how, what's that word? Awesome. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. God is literally like, you, you want me just to forgive you and go with you? Moses, I got way more planned than that. I got way more I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to do wonders that before never seen by any other nation. And it's going to be awesome. People are going to be amazed at how awesome I am. Now, that word awesome is a word we just kind of throw around, right, in our world today. I use that word probably 10 times a day. This sandwich is awesome, you know. I, I use that word to describe all kinds of stuff. But actually, this is a really powerful and unique word in the, the Old Testament. In the Hebrew language, it's, the word awesome is the, the Hebrew word yare. And yare is often translated as fear or revering. So it's the language actually that's used in the Old Testament. Whenever someone encounters an angel and they fall down on the ground in fear and trembling, it's the word yare almost every time. It's, it's this idea of, it's, it's fear, but it's not like fear I'm going to get punished or I'm, gonna, I'm in trouble or something like that. It's fear of just how incredibly awesome and, and powerful I, I'm in the presence of someone greater truly than me. God says, I'm going to do something so incredibly awesome, people are going to see it. So, so the question is, who is the awesome for? If you look at that passage, who is God going to do these awesome things for? Not the people of Israel, actually. If you, if you read verse 10, what we just read there, Israel already knew how awesome God was, right? That's why they're building him a tabernacle. Verse 10, what it actually says there is that I'm going to do such amazing wonders and awesome things that the people you live among will see how awesome your God is. So really, the reason he's going to do all these awesome wonders is not just so the people will think, the people of Israel will think he's awesome. There's God's sending them into the promised land where there are all these other nations. And this, God says, I want to distinguish you. I want outsiders, the other nations, the other people who would, who would see you to just be scratching their heads and going, what is going on with these people? Look at these wonders. Look at, these, look at what God is doing. Only God could do that. There must be a God in Israel. God wants to distinguish them and set them apart by his incredible blessing to them, to what he wanted to do with them so that other nations would see it and recognize it. Now, what's amazing about that is if we could kind of leave Moses and God on Mount Sinai and we could travel to the New Testament for a moment in Jerusalem. We're going to go to Acts chapter 2. What you see is this exact same idea is repeated again in the New Testament on, on uh, the day of Pentecost, or the coming of the Holy Spirit. And I, I know we've looked at that passage before, but it is, this is the moment all uh, the believers are gathered together and they're waiting for God. This is the birth of the church. And the church doesn't begin until the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter preaches a message. 3,000 people get baptized on one day and the church is born. And from that point on, the entire book of Acts is all about basically the Holy Spirit and the way he's leading the church. 
But I want you to see, literally, there's this passage, Acts 2, that describes what that was like, what the early church was like uh, when the Holy Spirit came. Verse 42 of Acts 2, it says, They devoted themselves, the church is who it's talking about, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, and everyone was filled with what? Awe. Awe. There's that word again. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So there's this clear kind of like, you know, callback to Exodus 34 and what's happening here in this, in this conversation between Moses and God. Everyone is filled with awe at the many wonders and signs. So now here, what's interesting, if you don't know, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek. The word for awe here in the New Testament in the Greek language is the Greek word phobos. Phobos is actually where we get our word for phobia. Like arachnophobia is a fear of spiders, right? Uh, so well, really, this word, again, just like the, the Hebrew word yare, it means fear. It, it means reverence. It means awe. But it's a specific kind of fear. It's used 47 times in the New Testament. Sometimes when it's translated, it's translated as fear, sometimes as awe, and sometimes as reverence. In this passage, it's calling back to the same idea. God is just doing these incredible things, and, and the church is just filled with awe. People are just filled with awe. God was doing so many of these wonders and signs in response to people's faith that it was almost like terrifying. It was overwhelming. There was just this sense of awe. Can I tell you this morning, New Life Church, awe is the rocket fuel for our faith. It's what God wants for us. He wants us to be living with this incredible sense of awe of how he's moving, how he's working in our lives. Awe is what powers the church. Now, I'm not saying that you can't be a Christian without awe. You, you can live the Christian life without a sense of awe. In fact, I, I feel like I know lots of Christians who do that, who choose to do that, but it's no fun. It's very hard to live a Christian life with no sense of awe of who God is and how he's moving and how he's actively right now in our lives working. Lots of people do. They just kind of have a general head knowledge of God and sort of this, okay, I, I kind of, I know these things or I believe these things. There's this sort of box that God lives in in my life. And I, you know, I, I put him on this shelf and I get him out once in a while when I need him. You can live that way as a Christian. You can do it. But I don't think it's what God really wanted for us. It's not really what he wanted for his church. He wanted us to experience this sense of awe. And most of the time we don't even ask him. For it. Our expectation isn't even that he would move and do something, you know, unexpected in our midst. We have this phrase we use in the Zero Collective. We've been using it uh, for a long time. Go ahead to that next slide. It's this phrase, only God. Only God. We talk about uh, where are the only God stories that are happening. But, and the reason we use that phrase is because we want to capture a sense of awe. What, what are the things that are happening that only God could do? And so, in fact, Brad, uh, I would tell you this, um, the staff meetings here for the staff at New Life, whenever they're, they're like talking about an event they just did or a ministry program or something that just went on, they always, as part of their staff time, they talk about where were the only God stories, right? You guys do that. Every sing, single time they, they review anything, what were the only God stories that came out of this? Those, those moments, because we don't want to miss it, we, we want to focus our minds on where are the places where God is moving in our midst. What's an only God story? I'll give you an example of one. A couple years ago, all four churches in the Zero Collective, uh, for our Christmas services, 
we just felt led by God to build this giant door. And so what we did is we, some of you were here at New Life for those Christmas services where there was a door up here and we were, uh, we were preaching from John chapter 10 where Jesus says, I am the door. Like, I'm the door to salvation. You have to walk through me. You have to come to me by walking through that door. And we saw tons of people basically in those Christmas services, they, when they made a decision for Christ, we invited them at the end of those services to get up and to actually walk through that door, symbolically saying, I'm giving my life to Jesus and I, I'm walking through him as the door of salvation for my life. This is a picture of at Frontline Church. I don't know if you can kind of see the door in the frame and, and, and people walking through it. That was uh, the moment at our Christmas services. At one of our churches... We got told the story later. At one of our churches, there was a woman who was invited by her family to come to one of the Christmas services. Now, her family, she doesn't go to church. She doesn't uh, follow Christ. She's not, not a Christ follower. Her family invited her to come to church on uh, that night. They knew that about six months earlier, she had had emergency open-heart surgery. So something had gone wrong with her heart. They had to open her up right away, and they did this surgery on her that saved her life, gave her a second chance of life. They knew that, but what they did not know and what she had not shared with them is that when she had gone under, when they put the anesthesia on her, when she'd gone under for that surgery to save her life, she had had a dream about a door. She walks in the room for this Christmas service, invited by her family, doesn't know Christ, and she sees the door from her dreams. As she turns to her family, she says, I'm supposed to walk through that door tonight. She hasn't even heard the message yet. She doesn't even know why there's a door in the middle of the room. And she literally says, I'm supposed to walk through that door. When the, at the end of the message, when the invitation came, nobody had to tell her what to do. She gave her life to Christ. She got up and she walked through that door. My friends, only God could do that. Only God could do that. Only God could give someone a dream and could move in such a powerful way. Do you have any only God stories in your life? Or maybe even a better question, do you have any recent ones? Maybe it's been years for you. Do you know Brad shares these kind of stories with me all the time? There, there are only God stories happening in this church all the time. I was just talking to Tim about one related to him and his family earlier before this service. God is moving there are things that he is doing that only he could do. In fact, Zero Collective itself, uh, this whole network that we're a part of, is kind of an only God story. This wasn't my idea. I, I didn't come up with this. This wasn't what I thought I was going to be doing at this stage of my life. And what we're seeing God do right now, I, I live with this sense of awe every single day that he is letting me do this, that he's allowing me uh, to do what we're, what we're a part of and what we're getting to see happen all through the Zero Collective and you guys are a huge part of that. Amen. Only God could do what he's doing. That's what we're supposed to be. I think our life is supposed to be powered by this sense of awe of what God is doing and the way the Holy Spirit wants to work. And I think it's every time he moves, I think we should be raising our expectations and going, wow, if he could do it there, if he could do it with that person, if he could do it in this place in my life, what, what, about, what about here? What about with that person? What about with this area of town? What about... What else does he want to do? Now, here's the problem with everything I'm, gonna, I'm saying today. Here's the issue. Here's the problem. Here's why we don't experience this more and more. If you go ahead to that next slide. If you are not getting your sense of awe vertically, meaning in your relationship with God, you will shop for it horizontally and you will always come up short. 
we are hungry, so hungry for a sense of awe that if we don't have it with God, if we don't have it vertically, what, what happens is we will start to shop for it. We'll start to look for it in all these other areas, a thrill, some kind of excitement, and we'll look for it in an affair. Uh, we'll look for it in trying to upgrade our stuff, just upgrade our vacations, upgrade our house, upgrade our car, go into huge amounts of credit card debt. What are we looking for? We're just looking for a sense of awe, a thrill, something to inspire, something to trip that wire again and give me that next bump of excitement. We'll turn, you know, uh, famous people, politicians, we'll turn them into gods that we worship because what we're really hungry for is a sense of awe. God, wants us to, God wanted us to live with this sense of awe vertically that, drew, that drives everything into our lives. What's amazing, if you look at that chapter, uh, Acts chapter 2, and read the entirety of that passage, there's a lot of things in the following verses that talk about what this sense of awe produced in the community. It talks about how the community of believers began to just share everything together. And in fact, so powerfully, it talks about this radical generosity they lived with. In fact, what Blake was talking about, the, the one of our zeros, zero needs among us, and we were talking about that with hand-to-hand, -hand, that it comes from that passage of Scripture. It says that they were living with such a sense of awe, and they were just living so radically generously that one day they look around, and there, was, there were zero needs among them. There was no more needs. You believe God could do that again today? And, and this is what's happening. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. But what I want to hone into for our final message in this series I want to hone into the very last thing it says that happens as a result of the disciples and the church living with this overwhelming sense of awe. Acts 2, verse 47, describing the church, it says, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's so powerful to me, that they had such a sense of favor with all the people. And by the way, all the people there is outsiders to the faith. It's all the people that were there in, in Jerusalem at the time when the early church was getting started. And the Lord adds to their number daily those who are being saved. Do you remember in Exodus 34 why, it's, why God did such awesome things for the people of Israel? It wasn't for them. They already thought God was awesome. That's why they built him a tabernacle. It was so the outsiders, people would see and go, wow, whatever is going on, there must be a God in Israel. Only God could do that. And the same thing is happening here. The favor of all the people, the favor is the word charis, which is where we get our word for grace. And so what's happening is a result of the grace and the favor of God in their lives, what's happening is God is moving more and more and more powerfully, and more and more people are just coming to know him, and God is distinguishing his people from all the other people by his grace and his favor on there. And I think that's an important distinguishment. It says that God added to their number daily those who are being saved. In other words, they didn't do it. They weren't adding to their number, those who were being saved. God, that's what they were experiencing. God was doing that as a result of what? As a result of their awe of God and what he was doing. Only God could be doing these things. And people are just sharing those stories. They're talking about that. They're expecting God to move in greater and greater ways. And he's the one drawing people in. I think that's the way not only the early church was wired, but I think it's the way we're supposed to be wired too. Church, do you believe that that can happen again today? Do you believe that that's something he wants for us today, not just for them, but that, that we would literally be so alive in Christ, that we would literally just be experiencing so much favor, so much grace being poured out to, to people, so many only God stories of how he's reaching people in our midst, 
the outsiders to the faith, uh, people who are far from God, people who are, are, you know, in our lives, in our community, watching from the outside would just be like, I don't, I don't know what's going on there, but I want, to, I want in on that. I want a part of that. If the world hates us because of Jesus, that's okay. In fact, Jesus told us that would happen, right? He said that at some point in your life, if you're really following me, he said, the world will hate you because of me. But listen to me very closely. If the world begins to hate Jesus because of us, that's a problem. That's not what you see when you look at the early church, when you look at the Holy Spirit leading and moving and powering the church. The world hates you because of Jesus. It's going to happen. Jesus promised it would. It's okay. It means you're doing something right. If the world begins to hate Jesus because of you, invite him. Say, God, how do you want to change my heart? What do you want to do? Where, where do you want to go? In fact, that's where we're going to be going with this next uh, sermon series. We're wrapping up today, and Brad's going to talk a little bit at the very end. We're going to be talking about the gospel message and how do we as the church today talk about the good news. That's what the gospel means. It means good news. That's what the word means. How do we talk about the good news of Jesus and the gospel to everyone in our world in this very divided, very difficult time? And I think it doesn't matter what we do with that series if we forget that when we look at the early church, outsiders were not drawn to, you know, a cool band, the cool band is great, or, a, you know, designer coffee, although designer coffee is great, or really cool, slick marketing and, uh, you know, a great, slick website. Outsiders were not drawn to a political candidate either. They were drawn to a savior, and they were drawn to a savior because of a church that was living so on fire for Jesus Christ. And they were being led by the Holy Spirit and saying, God, more. We want more of you. We want more of you. That only God's stories were happening and people were putting their faith in Jesus. That's what we want. That's what we want to see him do like he's never done before. Do you want that? Yes. If you want in on that, I want you to know you're in the right place. Yes. It's, it's yours if you want it. God's not holding back. It's just as possible today as it was back then, 2,000 years ago in the book of Acts. It's just as possible today. Why don't we experience it today? Why doesn't it happen? Why don't, why don't we see it in more churches? Because that's not how you fish. Because that's not how you run a nonprofit organization. Because that's not how you make decisions. We have for too long set God on the shelf and said, you know what, we can run it just fine ourselves. It's pretty sophisticated. It's pretty complicated, God. You just leave it up to us. He wants us to get back to being a people that when he invites us, we just say, okay, God, I'm going. We plunge our hand in the water. And, and we just trust him that he's going to do it. Jesus invited the disciples. He said, you've been fishing. I want you from now on, you're going to fish for people. You're going to fish for people. And the only way that can happen is if his power is moving and working amongst us. It's not something we're going to do in our own strength. It's something we're going to do because we are so filled with awe of who he is and what he's doing. And so I'll close with this. I'll close this whole series, everything we've been talking about. I'll end with this. The question, who have you given up on? Who in your life is an outsider? Who in your life is close to you but far from God? And you've literally said to yourself, man, it would take a miracle for that person 
to give their life to Jesus. That's the person. That's the person you write their name down. You commit to praying for them every single day. Even as we journey through this next series and we talk about how do we share the gospel, how do we talk about our faith in Jesus in the world we live in, that's the person. You just put them on the front of your mind. God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than anything we could ever ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us through Jesus Christ. Let's have bold faith again. Let's take a a trust, let's take a trust leap on God, on what he wants to do in the church. We've got so many exciting things coming up, and Brad and uh, Sam, you guys are doing such an incredible job just leading and shepherding and and pointing the way. And uh, yeah, it's October, it's Pastor Appreciation Month. Can we just say thank you to them? I should have done that. I should have done that earlier. Um, I'm so proud of these two and the way they are leading and I believe this church is just getting started. But where we, where we have to put our sense of awe is vertically to him. So would you pray with me? Jesus, this is your church. It always has been. It always will be. It belongs to you. And, and the fact that you not only came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death on the cross for our sins, paid the price so that we could be in you, so that we could be known by you, and then you actually bring us together, and you actually use us, the church, to make the invitation to others to come to know you just is mind-blowing. It just fills me with a sense of awe. You're at work. We just acknowledge, God, you're in this room right now. You're at work right now, and you're not done. You're not done with just us sitting here in this room. You want to do more. There's more people who need to know you. There's more people who are wrapped up in chains of addiction, of brokenness, that are trying to get their sense of awe horizontally any way they can find it. They don't even know what they could have in you. They don't even know what it is they're really looking for. We're all hungry for the same thing, every one of us, every human being, to be restored and reconciled to our Heavenly Father through you, Jesus, and that's what you invite. So would you lead us to that end, God? Show us how to be your church. Show us how to lean in and trust you for more, and we will give you all the glory for what only you can accomplish. It's your power that changes a life. It's your power that sets the captives free. It's your power that brings prisoners out of darkness. Would you do it again, God? Would you do it again in our day, in our time? We need it so badly. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen.